Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes, and I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. Thirteen years ago, Andy's marriage was on the rocks. But now he and his family are actively involved in sharing the gospel. How could that happen? This is the Engaging Missions Show, episode 177, with Andy Navarrete. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Show, where we are bringing missions home. Here's your host, Brian Ensminger. Thanks for joining us for the Engaging Missions Show. We want to see the body of Christ fully engaged in God's mission on the earth. This week we're going to be talking about the journey from a marriage that was on the rocks to ministering as a whole family. We'll talk about how encouraging it is for our guest to have his boys ministering with him and spurring him on. One of his boys is going to share a simple gospel message using the three circles tool. One of his other boys is going to share some of the things that have been happening. And we're also going to hear how even their two-year-old is getting in on the action. I would like to mention before we get too far into this that uh, Ida recently won our most recent engaging trivia. The question was, uh, what country was Hudson Taylor famous for going to? The answer was China, and Ida won that. So, Ida, thanks for playing, and congratulations. I'd also like to welcome Gene and thank him for giving some constructive feedback. He recently emailed me with some feedback about the show, and I really appreciate that. If you want to also do that, you can send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. I'd love to hear from you, and Gene, thanks again so much for that. Also, at the end of today's show, I'm going to reveal for you how much I'm believing God for as we approach our fundraiser for Global Initiative this year. With that, I'm not going to take any more time. We're going to get right into our conversation with Andy. All right, let's get started. Today, I am so excited to have Andy Navarrete with me. He and actually a couple of his boys are joining us as well. Now, Andy and his wife have been married for about 14 years And about 13 years ago, they were at a really rough spot. They were about to be separated, but Christ saved their marriage. And since then, they've moved on to training people as a family to share the good news. So Andy and your boys, thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Very excited to be here. So I I wanted to just kind of really dig in at first, because I understand that you were on the verge of separation about 13 years ago. Now, a few years later, you've been married 14 years. You're sharing the gospel as a family. How did that happen? What's the story behind all that? It all began with basically my wife and I getting ready for a divorce. My wife had separated for a week or two. It might have been a little longer. She had postpartum depression, and she went to live with her aunt's uh, place. And so uh, I hit rock bottom. I was not saved. Neither was my wife. We both knew we needed a relationship, a spiritual relationship, and we searched. We went to different churches. We're of a Catholic tradition, Catholic background, and we just didn't find anywhere. So we never grew spiritually together. 
So when we had this moment of, of trial and my wife left, I felt like a failure as a father and a husband, mm. uh, even though I was doing good financially in, a, in my new job. So my wife came over to visit, brought the baby. Jacob, my oldest, was eight days old at the time. And she left the apartment. We had an argument about a Christmas function I wanted her to attend with me. And I knew it was going to rain. So I followed her out with an umbrella and she walked for five miles in the rain up a long street on the side of the road on grass. And I just walked in between her and in between the traffic that was coming our way, making sure we wouldn't get hit and covering us with the umbrella trying to talk her into coming back home that I would drive her back to her aunt's place. She was stubborn. She wouldn't talk. She just kept walking. And she said, she recalls me saying at one point I wasn't going to walk anymore. And so I had to find a phone, somebody to lend me a phone to call a taxi. And it happened to be in front of a church, a big Christian church in Duluth, Georgia. And the gentleman let us use the church phone. And he invited us to come to a Spanish-speaking service, he saw that we spoke Spanish ah. weekend. And I went that weekend. My wife went back to her aunt's place. I was 25, 26 at the time. I heard the gospel message for the first time, and I, I was reading the Bible. Somebody was opening up the passages for me, and I gave my life to Jesus. I recognized that he had died for my sins on the cross and that if I invited him into my life as my Lord— and Savior, that he would forgive me and, and restore me, essentially. And I did that. I remember feeling a huge burden lifted off my shoulders. And at the end of the service, I gave, I filled out a prayer card requesting that my, my petition was that God would reunite me with my wife. So I show up to court that week. And the day before my court date, I get together a science board project and put photos of our first year of marriage, our honeymoon my wife's pregnancy. And then I show up to court the next day, in my wedding suit. And I open up the science board with all the photos to show Lena, my wife, who was on the other side of the courtroom and the judge. And the judge asked me if I was willing to share expenses, benefits, whatever it was he asked. I said I was OK with it was anything. And so the judge said we should just work out a settlement on visitation rights and everything else, which we did. Hmm. The ne- uh, that night, Lena went home and her aunt had a, a roommate who invited a friend over to her house, a Christian lady who shared the gospel with Lena. I didn't know this was happening. So Lena put her faith in Jesus and got encouragement to try to work her marriage and, and not let it fall apart. And she called me the next morning and said, Andy, this is not what I want. I want you to be the father of my child and my husband, I just need to make sure we live together alone because I can't live with your mom. I had made the mistake of bringing my mom up to live with us. Mm. So I told her not to worry that I had found an apartment for us that same week and that they would give it to us that like within three days. And and that was great. And so we annulled our, our agreement, moved back together. And a couple from that mission visited us every week, Wednesday nights to disciple us. And we started going Sunday mornings to the gathering at the gymnasium and fell in love with the Lord, both of us together. And it was a new life. Neither of us came from Christian homes. So there was a lot of healing going on and and 
in a correction in the way we viewed life and viewed marriage. And, and it, it definitely changed me inside out and it changed my wife as well. And so from that point on, we served in all the different ministries of that new church plant and discipleship for adults, my wife with the ladies, and any, anything that was needed in the church plant, we would essentially help the, the pastor who was a, a missionary that had come from Mexico City with his wife, Amy, who was, who was American, to help them with that church plant. A few years, a few years later, I was offered a, a relocation package with General Motors because I was in finance. It was the next step in my career, and I turned it down because I felt that the Lord had called me to to serve in the church as a volunteer, and I wasn't willing to give that up. And so I kind of got off track there with my career. And from there, it, you know, I had different jobs in, in different areas of finance, but that church plant was our home for seven years. And so it was made up of 18 different nationalities. Mm. They were people from Central America, Mexico, Costa Rica, Panama, Chile, Argentina, Colombia, Venezuela, El Salvador, Guatemala, Cuba, Puerto Rico. It was an amazing work that the Lord was doing there, bringing people from different backgrounds, economic and educational. We had some families that were Indians from the mountains of Mexico, Oaxaca. They didn't speak Spanish. That was not their first language, but they learned Spanish with us, reading the Bible in Spanish. They spoke an Indian dialect called Mixteco. So we lived in a community. It was very humble. It was full of love. And out of the, the modest and, and humble situation of these families, they, they loved generously with their time and, and service. We renovated an old building that was an office building to make it kind of like a church building for us when we were asked by the mother church to go out on our own. By that point, there were 12 families that were kind of the, the base of the church, but having the, the extra bills and everything put a huge weight in all the ministries which were being done through the home out of necessity because we we had a loaned space at the gymnasium. So we would meet in apartments or homes during the week, mine being one of them. We would lead discipleship studies for our neighbors. Sometimes our neighbors would come. And, and that's how we had our ministry to the lost. All that stopped when we moved to a building of our own. And the pastor, some of the leaders thought it'd be best to make that building the source of our ministry. So it didn't work out too much for some of the families because they really felt there was a void in fellowship that was being had during the week in the homes. Hmm. But the economy went down in 2008, 2009. Some families moved to Canada, others back to Mexico, and we were left just a few families with this building and these expenses. And so we handed it over back to the, the owners who were doing the lease purchase for us. And at that point, I had been involved in the finance, the treasury, or going hmm. the go-between person with the association and the building owners and in our church plan. So... I was kind of tired of, of doing that, and and so when we handed the building over, that essentially ended our our, our time with the the church plant, and the and the pastor just stayed with that one family, which was the most numerous family from Oaxaca, Mexico, meeting in their home, but that love that that experience we had never left us, even though we went on to an American 
church because I figured my sons had been born in Lawrenceville, Georgia, hmm. but they thought they were from Oaxaca, Mexico. And they didn't know they were Americans, that, so to speak, because we lived speaking Spanish. It was it was totally in, in that bubble. So I had this holding time from 2009 to 2014, where we just served in some of the ministries of an English-speaking church, but felt that the Lord had called us to make disciples and to do outreach to the Latino communities. And that's when I got approached by Daniel Solid, mm-hmm. and he's part of a coalition, a No Place Left coalition, with lots of missionaries. And he, and that through that training, him and, and Jeff Sundell and other folks, Troy Cooper, learned about making disciples. And I remember that when I was in that church plant, the challenge from our pastor to us as a as a small church plant was to make each of us make one disciple each year. And he said it, we would double in size. But we were never told how to do that. We were encouraged to. But all I knew how to do was kind of share the sermon that I heard on Sundays with my lost family. And they took it as not a, not a, not likely. They didn't like that. They thought I was judging them. And so I didn't have like a some simple tools to build bridges in a way that I could share the gospel in a way that would, would kind of like Paul did. He knew how to build bridges with, with people. So when I got this training from the No Place Left Coalition, it was like they had given me the kingdom, the, 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 the keys to the kingdom. And I started sharing the gospel. We'd go out here in my neighborhood with my boys. We started leading people to the Lord. And my mom came to the Lord finally. And my, my stepdad and we baptized them. And my, bo- my, my, grand, my boys got to see that. They were so filled with joy. We had been praying for their salvation. And my wife's family, her relatives started coming to Jesus, sisters and marriages. So all of a sudden, God started really blessing us. We've seen a lot of folks that were lost in our own family being saved as we were out sharing the good news with the lost in our neighborhoods here in Georgia. And I got some training and I and I went to Honduras to provide this uh, training to church planners, more recently to Costa Rica and to California. So now I do that kind of part-time, so to speak, on a voluntary basis, which is train small churches or or large churches on on how to be disciple makers and how to form churches. And then we do this as a family a couple hours a week, every week with the boys. So I've got a story to share, but I guess you let me know when we can go on to that part. Yeah, we'll we'll probably get to that in in a maybe a couple of minutes. I just kind of wanted to highlight, because we've we've talked about a pretty significant transition. We've spent just a few minutes on it, but we're talking about what sounds like 12 or 13 or 14 years of God leading you down a particular path and God showing you things over the years. I'm wondering, you know, there was a significant transition, I think, when you went into full-time ministry, and then when you when you transitioned again more to the the training for trainers or the discipleship making model. But I'm wondering, has God been showing you anything or teaching you anything over the last couple of months or the last year? I felt very encouraged while I was in a church plant and I was blessed to have a pastor that knew how to exposit the word really well and and had a love for God. And, and we had a community of Christians. But although I was encouraged in my my relationship to the Lord personally, I never walked it out effectively with my neighbors or with my own lost family. I did not know how to make disciples. Mm. I did not know how to share the good news 
I knew how to repeat a sermon that I was told. I knew how to do that. But when somebody's lost, they don't that goes over their head. So I, I realized that uh, I realized that once I was given some basic tools to share the good news, and that has brought more blessing, Brian, to me in the last year than all the service that I did within the four walls of the church. When I did the service within the four walls of the church, I was not a minister. I was just a volunteer. Mm-hmm. As I work in insurance and life insurance and financial services. That's my day job. But it was consuming when I was serving within the church because I always had the kids separate doing their own thing in different children's ministry. My wife separate doing something with the ladies or in the nursery. And I would be separate doing something else with the, the men. And so it was uh, taxing. And our Sundays, and I got to the point where I felt like I was getting burnt out, and I was not edifying my own household. So there was a season, about 2013 to 2015, where I spent more time with the family. I said no to all of the church functions and spent more time reading the Bible with my boys, seeking the Lord, and ministering to in, in my own home. And then I got the training, finally, from some missionaries on how to love my neighbors and how to love God and how to bring my family alongside with me. So the last six months, I've seen my boys pray for dozens and dozens of people, strangers at their doorstep and inside their homes as we go to neighborhoods in our community to share the good news. And I've seen 40 families led to Christ. We've had 20 baptisms. And Jacob, who is 13 now, and Josiah, who's nine years old now, they've been there with me every step of the way. My wife, too, because she's been host. She's hosted a lot of the discipleship trainings we've had in our own home. We do. We both minister to the lost and, and we disciple them and then we train them on how to share the good news. But we also hold trainings for the body of Christ, for existing believers who just like me have been in the church, but only serving in one capacity, never really fully engaging in the in the ministry of reconciliation, which is reconciling the lost, reconciling lost family, lost neighbors to the Lord. So that's been the biggest transition for me is going from being a learner and somebody who goes to church and simply serves within the four walls to being a practitioner, somebody who makes disciples. Of, of my lost family, lost neighbors, and who trains others, existing believers, equips them for that for this work of the ministry. Wow, that's great. And that's actually the, a great lead into the next section. But first, we're going to need to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus more to the ministry and what's going on there. I'd like to take just a minute to tell you about another podcast that I think that you should check out. If you enjoy the Engaging Missions show, you definitely want to check out the Foundational Missions Leadership Moment with Scott McClelland. He's been a guest on the show, he's a friend of the show, and he's just recently finished up a series where he was on location in Thailand talking with some missionaries there about leadership. I thought it was a really, really interesting discussion. You can check that out at fxmissions.com. I think it's worth your time to at least give it a second to check it out. All right, we're back with 
Andy Navarrete and two of his boys. He's got Jacob and Josiah with him. Now, Andy, we've talked actually a little bit about what it is that you're doing as far as what your ministry is, but I know that you're going door-to-door in neighborhoods and that you're doing some CPM or church multiplication. Can you share a little bit about what that means, and then we'll transition into the next portion? Sure. I learned that the kingdom of, of heaven is like a farmer who plants seeds, and he goes to bed, and he doesn't know how, but the seed grows. It, you know, there is grass, the grass blade, and the kernel, and then comes harvest time, and then he collects, uh, he reaps it. So, and the process is repeated. The farmer has more seeds to continue going into empty fields, and that seed is the Word of God, and the, the person doing this work is the Holy Spirit. So we don't really know how the Holy Spirit does it, but he does it with the word of God, that gospel message as it grows in the hearts of men and women. And then as these disciples are are made, as they grow, we form, we gather them into churches. So we don't always have all the elements of a church to begin with, but it, it is a church in formation. And then out of that, those groups of disciples, there are those that are very obedient to the commission that Jesus has given to go to the nations and make disciples. And those we try to invest more time with to prepare as other farmers, other seed sowers, so that they can repeat the process and go out into empty fields, share the good news, make disciples, and gather them into churches that can then multiply and replicate themselves. And so we do that during House of Peace searches is what we call it. We go to door to door into neighborhoods, sharing the good news door to door. And we start simply by asking people if we can pray for them. We say, I'm here with my, my boys and I'm here to pray for you and your family. What can we pray for? And, and let them talk. Many people do ask for prayer. And then after that, we share the gospel with them using a simple presentation like three circles. Okay. The other way we do it is... We create a map called an oikos map. Oikos is the Greek word for household or your sphere of influence. And that we map out all the relationships that we have in our workplace, in the Jefferson City Park and Recreation, where my boys do sports, and just different areas of life. And we start praying for these folks that are far from God. And then we share the gospel with them. So those are the two tracks that, that we go to. According to the Bible, that's how we we try to follow those patterns set by Jesus, Paul, and and the apostles. Okay, and you had mentioned the the three circles method. I know that's one of the bridges or one of the ways that we can present the gospel, and I think that you mentioned that Jacob is actually going to share that with us. So, Jacob, if you wouldn't mind, I'd, I'd like for you to maybe just tell us how old you are, and then you can go ahead and share that with us. Okay, I'm 13, and so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Yep. So... We live in a world filled with brokenness, and we try to escape that. And when you turn on the TV and watch the news, you can see that there's so much suffering, so much pain in this world. It's all broken. But we try to escape that brokenness with drugs, alcohol, pleasures such as partying, even good works and religion and your job. But like a bungee cord, it's always going to bring us back to this brokenness. Mm. Now, uh, this wasn't God's original plan. God's original plan was a plan filled with love. There was no brokenness in it. it. It was a completely perfect world. But with the first sin that Adam and Eve committed, and since just any wrong thing we do in general against God, against our family, 
and broke us away into this, into this brokenness. Well, God had a backup plan. He decided to send his son Jesus down to the earth to live a perfect life and to die on the cross for our sins, raising again the third day, showing that he was Lord and Savior. Now God demands a response from that. If we are to turn from this brokenness, from the bungee cords, and trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, this is supposed to be a crown, he will bring us back and you know, restore our relationship we have with God so we can go back to follow and obey his perfect plan. Which one of these two circles are you? And then we lead them to Christ. Okay, yeah. Jacob, thanks so much for sharing that. And for those of you that are listening, this this is a presentation of the gospel that's simple enough you can do it on a napkin. I couldn't see what Jacob was doing it on, but I could tell, Jacob, that you were drawing it. And if you're interested in that, maybe shoot me a note to feedback at engagingmissions.com, and I'll make sure that you can find a way to to learn that presentation of the gospel, because at least in our culture right now, it's really connecting with people well. And I really appreciate you sharing that with us, Jacob. Now, Andy, you had also mentioned that you and Josiah both have some stories to share about what God's been doing recently. Would you like to go first, or would you like to have Josiah share something? I'll, I'll lead. And me and Josiah, were, we were out one day. Mm-hmm. It was rainy, and it was cold. And this was in a different neighborhood, 20, a 20-minute 20 drive from where we live. And I'll let Josiah pick up from there. And we were out with—I was out with me, my dad— and my brother and a friend of ours, and we were out gossiping some apartments in Winder. And by, and it was starting to rain, sprinkle, and so we were passing the next house, which we were going to knock on. And I could see through the curtains that they were eating dinner, and I was like, Dad, don't knock on that door. They're eating dinner. You don't want to disturb them. He's like... No, maybe they'll even offer us something like, no, I'm not sure. And so we knocked on the door. They came in and we asked, we're here preaching the gospel. Do you have anything we can pray for? And they were like, yes. And so we prayed for them. And then they invited us in the house. And then I shared the three circles to the young girl who's there. They were in four in total at the house. And my dad shared it to other three people. Mm. And then... Our friend and Jacob, who we had separated in two groups of two, came into the house, too. And then they offered us some food. (laughs) And so we ate and we were there for about three hours training them and discipling them in the word. Wow, that's excellent, Josiah. Thank you for sharing. Would you mind also sharing with us how old you are? I'm nine years old. Nine years old. So I just want to highlight this because I think it's incredibly powerful that Andy, you and your wife have your boys out there at nine years old and 13 years old. And I think your other son, if I remember right, is two. So probably not sharing the gospel just yet, but that you're involving your family at a young age, because that's a huge discipleship opportunity. So I really want to thank you for for doing that. And then also for just sharing that with us. I really appreciate that. Well, Ryan, hold on one second. Yeah. Uh, the two-year-old, let me tell you what happened the other day. Oh, awesome. Paolo, which is a parent on the local soccer team, he's a parent of another kid who's Jacob's age. They play soccer together. We shared the good news with him in our home. He put his faith in Jesus. And Josiah shared the story of the eunuch's baptism. Mm. 
and asked him, we asked him if he wanted to obey Jesus in this and get baptized. Paolo said yes. And Ezekiel, who's two years old, said to Paolo, he, he, he smiled, he jumped up, and he led Paolo to show him where our Roman tub was. Because <laughs> he, he knew what baptism was. And so he, he kind of, he was so, it was so funny to see my two-year-old take Paolo and, and lead him to where the bathtub. And so we filled the bathtub with water and we baptized Paolo that night. And, and train fought for the next three hours he spent in our house. And then and then Paolo shared the gospel with his son that week and brought his son back the next week. And my boy shared the gospel with the son, and he too decided to get baptized. So even my two-year-old knows what's going on. Wow, that that's amazing. And, you know, I, I just want to highlight that again, especially if you're listening to this and you're going— man, I've got young kids and I want to make sure that they connect with the gospel. This is a really powerful way to do it because you're doing something with them. You're not just telling them about it. You're not just modeling it and hoping that they notice. You're actually doing it with them. So that's incredibly powerful. Now, as I think about your ministry and all of the transitions you've been through, all of the things that are going on right now, I know that it's not without its challenges, that there are difficult times, that there are struggles, that, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that comes against us when we start following God. And in the middle of all of that, I'm wondering, what is it that encourages you, strengthens you, keeps you going? Jesus is so real to us. When you see Paolo, his wife left him. He was a, a broken man. We didn't know this was happening. He was at his wit's end. And when I shared the three circles with him orally, he said, I never knew the Bible could be relevant to, today, to today's situation. Hmm. And, and he wanted me to keep telling him stories, because I would start with stories of the Bible orally about the sinful woman who wept at Jesus's feet and how the religious leaders criticized that woman and criticized Jesus for letting him be touched. But it, it just, when we see, when my boys get to see the reconciliation in somebody's heart to their own family and, and just that peace that comes in the midst of their trials, it, it just becomes real to us on a different level. And so my boys, they, they, they question themselves. Sometimes they say, well, dad, when are we going to go out and do follow-up? They won't let me go two or three days without me getting back out there on an evening or weekend and following up to continue discipleship or sharing the good news. And, and so they, after they've experienced this, they don't want to sit anymore and, and just, you know, be a listener they actually want to train. They want to share the good news. And they do this. It's a very active following Jesus versus a passive following Jesus, if, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. That that keeps me super motivated, uh, seeing my boys enamored with, with what we do and with the good news. And it finally gives peace to my heart, Brian, because for the first seven years that I was in a church plant, that I got challenged to make disciples but never knew how— I knew that that was a calling. I knew that, that that's what God wanted, wanted me to, to be a minister of reconciliation. And, and, and that was, that's kind of been my verse is, is 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 21, that we're a new creation in Christ and we're ambassadors now. The old has passed, the new has come. There's been an exchange and Jesus has taken my sin upon him and he's clothed me with his righteousness to send me as an ambassador of his and as a minister of reconciliation and to share the good news. So for me, the kindest thing that anybody ever did to me ministry wise 
was these missionaries teaching me and giving me basic tools on how to share the good news and how to build bridges and make disciples of the nations and, and also of my own network of lost relatives. I mentioned that I, I do insurance. Mm-hmm. And every insurance client that I have that I do an insurance review with, I share the gospel with by asking them if I can pray for them. I figure they put their trust in me to buy their insurance. I have some report, so I ask them, I tell them it's my custom to pray for my my customers. I don't I don't care if they're believers or not. I just I, I just ask them that. I I hardly ever get a denial. Most people say yes, you know, pray for me, even if it's for just general health and well being. But then after I pray for them, I share the gospel using a visual three circles presentation, and we've led families to the Lord. So it it's it's given me more purpose in what I do. I, I know that God would have me sell insurance to provide an income for my house. But there's the greatest joy is, is sharing the good news. Wow. That, that is amazing. And believe it or not, you've set us up for the next section again. It's almost like you're, you're just setting everything up. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to shift our focus one last time toward providing resources and insight for our listeners. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the engaging mission show. We started out and we were very aggressive and, and zealous and we saw a lot of people come to Christ. But we had no pattern and rhythms and, and sustainability factors. And so what we try to do now is raising up intentional leaders who will commit to planting new churches, identifying them as church, and then training them on a, on a weekly basis so they're equipped. And then uh, so I would just say the mission and vision has expanded to more of a citywide strategy uh, versus just more of a localized strategy. If you enjoyed that, you won't want to miss a single episode of the Engaging Mission Show. Subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher to have it delivered automatically. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. That's engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. All right, we are back with Andy Navarrete. Now, Andy, we just tied a bow on a, an incredible section. As we head into this last section, I'm looking for resources and a challenge for our listeners. So I'm wondering, do you have any particular resources or a book that you'd recommend? Yeah, well, the, no place left. Okay. .net, the Four Fields Manual that explains the four fields of the kingdom of heaven. It's a great resource. Okay. And then you can also see some of the gospel presentation tools and the discipleship tools on how to disciple folks using nine basic commands from the New Testament that Jesus shares. You can find that also in Acts chapter 2, verse 37 of 46, where it it explains, you know, baptism, repentance, the church, what is it? What do they do? Fellowship, break bread, share the Lord's Supper. And it's so simple just to learn these basic tools to to know that this is something that laymen, every single one of us should be and can be doing with our own families, that we don't have to wait on a professional and bring people to a professional, so to speak, for a stranger to share the gospel with, with somebody that we're bringing I thought that was the way, the only way to share the gospel was to bring somebody to church. But I realized that people want to have a conversation with you if you're their friend, if you're their coworker, and that I should be able to give a valid defense, a valid reason for the faith that I have, for the hope that I have, and to be able to clearly present the good news because it's about Jesus. And so 
I would recommend noplaceleft.net. And I also like the, the sermons from Charles Spurgeon and the, the, the sermon index he has. One of his sermons in 19, 1855, he describes, he's, he's talking about the awakening that's happening in America in 1855. And he, he mentions a statistic from uh, one December to the next in one year of 250,000 people confessing Jesus and being regenerated in the United States in 1855. And, and it happening through a variety of ministers and and. Christians and, and, a, and prayer happening daily in the marketplace at lunchtime in cities like Philadelphia and everywhere else. And it was a move, a movement of the Holy Spirit. And 250,000 people of a population back then, and I'm not sure what it, what, what it could have been, maybe 20 million or so, that's, that's a big percentage. So I'm thinking that nowadays with 300 million people in the U.S., if we were to have just 10% come to the Lord in one year or 1%, you know, 30 million people or 3 million people to have 1% come to the Jesus just from an awakening, a revival, so to speak, of Christians actually loving their, the lost and, and being Jesus for them in their context. Well, wow, that's great. To bring it to a close, I'm wondering if you maybe just have one thing that you'd like to challenge us to do in the next seven days. Share the good news. Pray pray and trust the Holy Spirit and 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 don't put uh, the reliance on us as the as our capability or our competence it's not about how competent we, or how how good we are at it it's just about being available and willing and if if you're available and willing and you pray and ask God to bless people and and to give you the boldness that you need, then he will present many opportunities because God is faithful and and he just and so just get started and, and also find some training on these basic concepts on how to make disciples. These uh, there are several trainings going on throughout the U.S. You can go to no place left to find a one close to your city. And, and, and there will be people in your own church. If you're a believer, you go to a, a church that have a heart for the lost so that's how I got started is I would I would hear stories from folks that were engaging people that were lost with the good news. And that spurred me on to wanting to to put feet to my faith, so to speak. And, and it's blessed me 10 times over for my boys and my own family, reconciling them to the Lord, my extended family, and also seeing my neighbors come to Jesus as well. Wow, that, that's really good stuff. For those of you that are listening, we will have all of this linked up in the show notes as well as some ways for you to connect with Andy. Andy, I want to say again to you and your boys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you for having us. You're welcome. Now we're headed to Mongolia where we're going to catch up with Brian Hogan as we follow a portion of his book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub. Last week, we were hearing a little bit about the encouragement that Brian Hogan got when he caught up with Boggy and Nara on a train ride. This week, we're going to join Brian as he's sharing some of the things that he got from a letter from Boggy and Nara as they talk about what happened in Darhan and what's going on in their ministry. Not many months later, I received a letter from Boggy with a photograph of them passing a baton to the leaders they had trained in the Darhan church actually handling such visible and tangible proof that the movement was now spontaneously reproducing 
was for me, at least, like touching a holy relic must have been for my ancestors in the Dark Ages. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, what started all of this was Brian and his team passing the baton of leadership to the local leaders as they were preparing to leave. They came in for a couple of years. They did the work that they had, that God had put before them. They raised up leaders, and then they passed the baton onto them. It should go without saying, but maybe it's worth bringing up, that that's now what we see Boggy and Darhan doing. They're modeling and living the behavior that they saw modeled and lived before them. Next week, we're going to come back for our last time to connect with Boggy and Nara as we hear a little bit more about how that passing of the baton went. I'd like to say one more huge thank you to Brian Hogan for making his book available to us. It was narrated by the author at Voice of the Martyr Studios, and Jeff Butterworth, who actually helps out with this podcast, also helped with the mixing and mastering. Jeff Butterworth has Sound Paradigm Studio just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. If you have a book that you would like to be able to make available as an audiobook, I would recommend that you connect with Jeff at soundparadigmstudio.co or send me an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com to start that conversation. And if you're interested in picking up the audio version of Brian's book, you can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash free book and then simply selecting Brian Hogan's book, There's a Sheep in My Bathtub, as your first download when you sign up to try out Audible's service. That again is engagingmissions.com slash free book. And then just select Brian's book as your first free download when you sign up to try out their service. I'd like to share with you another idea for how you can continue to invest in children in a family or in a Sunday school class or wherever you might be, if you're interacting with children, to help raise visibility for missions and capture their hearts for what God's doing in the world. This isn't something about trying to elevate missionaries or anything like that. It's about this common connectedness that we have to each other, to God, and to God's mission in the earth. This week, I wanted to share with you an idea that I actually saw modeled for me with some friends of ours. And it's the idea of praying for a missionary, but very specifically, if you have more than one missionary, getting a recipe box or something like that to put several different missionary names in there, maybe on an index card or something like that. And then perhaps at dinner time or at a common time to take a minute to just pray for them, to remember who they are and where they are, to pray for their needs and to pray for those as a family, to come together before God as a family to remember them. Related to this, I realized that, you know, several people had actually asked how much I'm believing God for in this fundraiser for Global Initiative, and I did want to share that with you. I apologize for waiting so long. It was an oversight on my part. I'm believing God for $4,000 through this show, and there's a a couple of reasons for that. First off, $4,000 kind of scares me, and so I believe that's actually something that I heard from God, because it's not something that I would have committed to by myself, because I look at myself, and I've never been real good at fundraisers, so I am believing God for that. Another reason is because I just believe that God directed me in that in that way, and it's a stretch, but also... That's the amount of money that it would take to send a team with materials down to Cuba to train the local believers there. And there's, you know, one of the interesting things about doing that is not only is Cuba now recently open to this kind of thing, but because of passport restrictions and things like that, a lot of times someone from Cuba with the relationships that are with that country can get into places that someone from the States can't get to. And so they can then bring the gospel with them. And that was one of the things that really kind of stuck out to me. 
me. So that's what I'm believing God for through this fundraiser. If you'd like to find out more about what's going on with Global Initiative, about this fundraiser, or maybe would like to be part of that, visit engagingmissions.com slash fund 16. That's engagingmissions.com slash fund, and then the number 16, to find out more, to pray about how you might want to be involved, and to, if you're interested, commit to this and let me know what you've committed. Not so that we can follow up or anything like that, but so we can celebrate what God's done in and through us together. Thanks to Andy Navarrete for being with us, Brian Hogan for making his book available, and to you for joining us. Show notes are available at engagingmissions.com slash Andy Navarrete. That's A-N-D-Y-N-A-V-A-R-R-E-T-E. That's where you'll find links, quotes, and resources to help you engage. Make sure you come back in a couple of days when we'll be hearing from David Kaufman about engaging the community, training missionaries, and how obedience improves our ability to hear from God. Make sure you don't miss it by subscribing. Visit engagingmissions.com slash subscribe. And please help us understand how we can improve the show and serve you better. Send an email to feedback at engagingmissions.com. Thanks for listening to the Engaging Mission Show. You can find more great content like this along with show notes by visiting engagingmissions.com or by subscribing to the show in iTunes or Stitcher. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week.